0: If you want to turn in your Bibles as we've started going through James, we got through some of the history last week, touching on a little bit of the beginning of that, and we know that he's talking to the twelve tribes uh, that were scattered abroad, and sometimes as uh, Matthew 19 would tell us, the twelve tribes, oh, children's church, (laughs) (laughs) rookies, They were going to leave without you, somewhere uh, That's fine. They'll learn a lot more down there maybe than up here anyway. So. But anyways, uh, Matthew 19 talks about the, the Jewish um, churches, or that it was a referral to the Jewish people that could be scattered abroad. So as we were talking in our pattern last week, we look at the context. And that's the context. This is basically written because it's one of the first books that was written in the New Testament basically to the the Jewish converts, even though Gentiles had come in there. So we know that it's for everybody to learn from. And um, as we look at this, one of the reasons I love James so much is that he's sort of like that blue-collar preacher. I think he's sort of in the mold of John the Baptist. He sort of just says what he needs to say. He steps on people's toes. I think he ruffles feathers. Uh, But that's what the Scripture does. And as I read... uh, Old pastors such as, you know, Spurgeon and, and Tozer and um, there's so many of them, Calvin and, and even Martin Luther. You see these uh, pastors that were passionate about teaching people, not just sort of uh, pacifying people, but provoking people to walk closer to God. And so as we're starting again, we're going to start in two and maybe get up through eight today. But he says that this was to the 12 churches that were scattered abroad. Now some say that they were scattered because of persecution. That can be, it could be that they were just spreading out and and expanding, which could also be true. And we can sort of apply that to today, that the churches today are under persecution. We're thought to be bigots, we're thought to be narrow-minded, we're thought to uh, not be uh, all loving um, because of our stance on the word of God. Even as individual Christians, sometimes we can be persecuted for our faith and our beliefs and the things that, that we fall in. So we can understand some of this as we take this letter to heart. So Josephus wrote, and Josephus, he was a, uh, a historian of the time, not necessarily Christian. But he said, there is no city, no tribe, whether Greek nor barbarian, in which Jewish law and Jewish customs have not taken root. So the Jewish customs and the Jewish law was, was well known and well spread through everywhere. And so James is talking about this, and James is talking about faith. He's going to talk about perseverance, and he's going to talk about wisdom as we get going in this. And Martin Luther is, would say this about faith, because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Faith is something that we talk a lot about, but I think as Christians we exercise very little. And Martin Luther said this Oh, it is a living. Oh, oh, it is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. It is impossible for it not to be doing good things incessantly. It does not ask whether good works are to be done, but before the question is asked, it has already done this, and it is constantly doing them. Whoever does not look around, oh, whoever does not do such works, however, is an unbeliever. He gropes and looks around for faith and good works, but knows neither what faith is nor what good works are. Yet he talks and talks with many words about faith in good works. That could be very applicable to the world today. You know, we have people that talk the lingo; They know the language. They, they, they've been maybe raised in the church. They've heard these things. They've learned the cliches of a Christian, but they really don't know what faith is. And it says that they're groping for these things. They really aren't even interested in the works of God. And this is one of the reasons why when the the canon was up for review that James was a book that was sort of on the hinge because some people thought that James emphasizes so much on works that it was contrary to what the rest of the Bible said. But James, he'll show that out through this Bible, it isn't that. James would say this, we do works because of our salvation, not for our salvation. So when you are a born-again believer, it's just like putting yeast in a, in a dough ball. It just automatically starts to grow, automatically starts to expand. You don't tell that dough ball or you don't make that dough ball start to expand. It does it on its own. And when we have the Holy Spirit in our life, it just naturally convicts us and prods us and makes us work towards those things that are more holy. And so he says it gropes and it looks around for faith and good works, but knows neither what faith nor good works are. So a lot of times, Christians and churches, they'll talk a lot about faith. They talk about praising Jesus. They talk about living for God. But their heart and their desire really isn't there. I saw a saying a while ago, it says, you know, what good is a mouthful of scripture with a heart full of hate? And sometimes that's where we're at. We know the things to say, but our actions following our profession. And in the book of James, I found at least 15 allusions to the Sermon on the Mount. James was a serious preacher about God's word. And as we said, this was probably a sermon that was passed around to these churches at that time. And so when we look at James, he was one that didn't care if he stepped on toes. He was one that was going to sort of tell it like it is because he wanted people to live for Jesus, not just profess that they were Christians. And there's, I think, in the, in the United States, anyways, I remember reading Barna quite a few years ago, It was like 90-some percent of people profess Christianity and everything that falls under Christianity. But if we look at the world today, we don't see people living for Jesus. And so when we look at the Word, the Word of God tells us that our life needs to be changed, that our priorities are different, that our whole way and, and being of things changes because of what Christ has done for us. So James was a serious writer of this letter, and he wanted... These Jewish people to get the message because apparently in the church at that time he saw the falling away. He saw the profession, the talking, but not the actions that would line up with that. Today we maybe see that same thing within the world and within the Christian community. People that talk the talk but they don't walk the walk. And so he tells us beginning at 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And so he gives us this this little dialogue about faith and perseverance. And so when we talk about faith and we talk about trials, those two sort of go hand in hand. And what James really says here, he says that trials in our life or testings or troubles, however we want to phrase it, are inevitable in our life. He doesn't say, if they happen, he says when they happen. So he's really telling each and every one of us that we are going to go through trials. We're going to go through tribulations. We're going to go through these testings in our life, these problem areas of our life. And how is it that we handle them? How is it that we respond to God during these times? So he also tells us to count it all joy in the midst of trials. Well, and again, we talked last week. That doesn't mean that we're happy that, bad things are happening around us. We're not happy that we're going through these struggles, but we count it all joy because they're used to produce patience in our life. So God is at work through these situations. So I'm not happy necessarily going through this situation, but my joy comes knowing that God is walking with me through these things and that at the end I'm going to be better off than I was at the start, that God has a plan, that God is in control, And all these things really deal with God's sovereignty, that God is in control. We look at the world today, and we can say it's a mess. We can look around here and say, man, things are just spiraling out of control. But what we need to realize as Christians is that God is still in control. Even though things look like a mess and things look like God is still in control. God is the one who created the, the whole entire earth in, in six days by his voice, by speaking a word. And now we think, well, You know, Russia and Ukraine are having problems. The world's at a loss. No. God is in control. He's working things out the way that he needs to. We just need to learn this patience. And so even as a country, as well as individuals, or as a church, or as a family, however it is that we look at it, as we go through these things, we need to have faith. And when we have this faith, it says that it's going to produce patience in our life. Let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. So when we have the patience, we wait upon the Lord. You know, we sing a song about that every now and then. You know, wait upon the Lord. Blessed is he who waits upon the Lord. We are living such an instantaneous uh, society right now that if I want something, I can run to the store and get it. I don't have to wait if I'm hungry. I just need to go to McDonald's and go through the drive-thru. I can eat now. I can go to the gas station, get this. I can do that. We don't have to wait for anything anymore. And the older I get, the I think the more I realize this and... Just to let you know, I've been all wrapped up in that too. But I started thinking back then. I remember like when my grandma used to go grocery shopping every other week. There was a shopping day, and she had a list. We didn't go to the store every day. A lot of times now, like if we need something, oh, we're in town, we just stop and get it and stop and do this. Things were planned out. We learned to wait a little bit more. If I didn't eat my breakfast, I had to wait till lunch to eat. I didn't get snacks in between that. We don't have that patience in our life much anymore. And we don't have it in our spiritual life either. Waiting upon God, letting God unfold the chapters in our life. You know, we're so quick to put a a period at the end of the sentence that we're dotting sometimes half sentences. You know, we need to let God write the sentence, write the paragraph, write the chapter, write the book of our life. And when we see God at work that way, it's a great story. It's a great story and we learn so much more through that. So it says that it's going to produce patience. So when we fall into it, says, when we fall into various trials and temptations, again, it doesn't say that we walk step by step into them. Now listen to this. A lot of times we as Christians, we wade into sin. We wade into our own problems. And then when we're like up to here, we're throwing up our hands, oh, I can't believe all this stuff is happening to me. We've waded into it. We've walked into it. We've put ourselves in that situation. James is saying when you fall into it. So this is the same as like David in Psalms 116. You're sort of plunged into it. It's it's unexpected. It comes upon you. So James is really telling us we need to take responsibilities for our actions. We need to learn to say yes to God and no to sin in our life. And so not going in step by step, but something that's precipitated, something that, that we are plunged into, and when we're there, That's where our faith comes. That's where this patience comes. So the 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 Greek word for patience really means an enduring, um, an active endurance. Okay, Um, it doesn't mean just passively sitting and waiting. So if you can think about that, sometimes we just sort of wait for the day to go by. But this is this is sort of an active endurance. That means we're waiting expectantly for something to happen. When we get up in the morning, we don't know what God is going to have, but are you actively expecting of what God may do? So I pray in the morning. I say, God, bring people into my life that I might be able to share the gospel message. I sometimes pray, you oh, know, Lord, just one person. Give, give me one person today, at least, that, that I can share the gospel with or share something about Jesus with. And you know, when I pray that prayer, it, it never under, you know, I'm never underestimating. He always gives me way more opportunities than what I think but I'm looking for it because I've prayed for it and I've asked for it and I've asked for it in faith so when we have this expectant thing that God is at work this is the patience that we learn we're not trying to force ourselves but we are looking for the opportunities that God uh, brings to us and we're ready we're ready Uh, we had a testimony this morning of of an individual who's who's passing away and they said but she's ready You know, that's the best thing to be anywhere in life. Be ready. The Bible says be ready to give an answer for that hope that lies within you. Are you ready to share the gospel with somebody on just a spur-of-the-moment thing? We never know when these opportunities come, but we need to be ready for them. And it says, knowing that the testing of of your faith produces patience. So it tells us that faith is tested through trials. It's not produced through trials. So our faith is tested through trials, it's not produced through. So we think, oh man, when I get in a, a trial, it's going to give me more faith. No, our faith is revealed when we get in the midst of our problems. Trials are, uh, really reveal what faith we do have. We say, well, you know, why do we need to go through trials? Doesn't God know the faith that I have? He does. But do you? Does the world? A lot of people are drawn to Christ by watching other people go through situations. They say, how could you go through this? How can you, you know, keep that resolve after what you've faced and after what you've gone through? And there's the perfect opportunity to share that gospel. And so faith is tested through trials. It's not produced through trials. We need to understand that. So it reveals what faith we do have and that our faith will be evident not only to ourselves. Sometimes it's a proving ground for us. But it also shows others around us the faith that we have. Does your faith show others that, that your trust is in God and God alone? Or do, When they look at you, do they think that, well, he puts all of his trust in his resources or in his management? You know, the Bible says there's a way that seems right unto a man, but at ends end is destruction. We can sit down, and, and as a man, I only know how a man thinks. So men are sometimes uh, problem fixers. And so we try to work it out that everything is going to be this way, and, and things can't possibly work out unless it's, done by this scheming that I have in my mind or this plan that I have, and we're not trusting in God. And when we don't trust in God, we're missing the blessing of God in our life and in our family and in our community. We need to show the world that we truly trust in who God is. Spurgeon said this, Faith is as vital to salvation as the heart is vital to the body. Hence, the javelins of the enemy are mainly aimed at this essential grace. We need to understand that Satan is attacking our faith. That's what he wants to chip away at, is our faith. If he can keep you out of the word of God, he's accomplishing what he needs to. Faith comes by hearing, Romans tells us, and hearing by the word of God. So when we hear the word of God, when we read the word of God, when we hear devotions, when we listen to Christian music that has that message to it, our faith can increase. We can find that hope, and it's done supernaturally. We're not even necessarily setting out to do it but by the Holy Spirit in our life it's alive and active sharper than any two-edged sword cuts through the bone and the marrow it's alive in our life and it begins to give us that faith it begins to convict us of the sin in our life it begins to draw us closer to him but when we don't want to hear what God has to say what do we do we close the Bible what do we do we avoid church what do we do we turn to maybe secular music. We're not listening to the Christian music anymore. See, that's how Satan eats away at our faith. Amen. So when we spend time in his word, when we spend time in prayer, when we spend time in Christian fellowship, we're going to grow. Our faith is going to grow. It's going to get stronger. It's going to be more evident to those around us. And it says this, but let patient have its perfect work that you may be lacking nothing. So endurance comes slowly, okay? When you go to build up endurance. So before we went down to uh, Texas, you heard that I had COVID, Julie had COVID, it hit me a little bit more, and so I was down a few days, and all of a sudden I started feeling good, and I thought, oh, man, I'm feeling like a million bucks today. And I, I walked out the jetty to go fishing, and I got out there, and to walk back was a chore. The endurance wasn't there. I wasn't fully where I needed to be. Endurance is something that we build up. We learn that in battles. We learn that in trials. That we can have that strength and that faith through these things that come. So many times endurance comes slowly. And we really must allow it that time as we continue to follow him. We continue to trudge. You know, God gives us our strength. What did Paul say in Philippians? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But we need to make sure it's in the strength of Christ. Because when I stand in my own strength and I'm standing in my own wisdom and I'm trying to stand in my own ways, I get tired. I get irritable. I get I get misguided. So I need to keep my eyes on what the Lord has. Spurgeon says this: the natural tendency of trouble is not to sanctify, but to induce sin. So that was his first sentence of this paragraph. And I want to read. So he says the natural tendency of us, the natural tendency of trouble, of valleys in our life of of situations, is not to sanctify, not to do what is right, not to be set apart and follow God's word, but to induce sin, to follow sin. Many times we'll hear in the world, well, everybody else is doing it. Why can't I? We see everybody else doing it, and we join in and we say, but it's not as bad as what this one's doing. See, the tendency of trouble is not to sanctify, not to set ourselves apart, not to be obedient to God's word, but to go to sin. Because we feel that somehow that has the solution in our life. And we probably wouldn't admit that, but it's really by our actions what we are saying. So he goes on to say, Hence we are taught to pray, lead us not into temptation, because trial has in itself a measure of temptation. And if it were not neutralized by the abundant grace, it would bear us towards sin. So it says for the believer that has a true faith, an active faith, a strong faith, one that is seeking um, patience and endurance through these things. It's by the grace of God that we are able to resist that sin in our life and to trust in God for the things that we are facing in our life. See, so many times when we are when when we are struggling with things in our life, we're looking towards our solutions. We don't see any other way, so we so we. Finagle it up in our mind that this is the only way that it's going to work. And when we do that, we're robbing God of the glory that he wants to do in the work that he wants to do in our life. Spurgeon continued on, I have looked back to times of trial with a kind of longing, not to have them return, but to feel the strength of God as I have felt it then, to feel the power of faith as I had felt it then, to hang upon God's powerful arm as I hung upon it then, and to see God at work as I saw him then. What Spurgeon was saying is in the present day that he was writing this, that he sort of longed for that closeness to God when he saw God working, when he felt the faith, when he was trusting God so much. Because when we're in that spot, if you've been through that spot in your life, where there's nothing else but God, you know the feeling that I'm talking about. You know that closeness to God that you can have, and you know the blessing that you feel through those things. And then we long for that. Man, just to have that back, Spurgeon was saying. And so he tells us that we need it in wisdom. Five, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not a man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable, in all his ways see in trials we need wisdom a lot more than we need knowledge when I'm scheming and I'm thinking and I'm planning in my own ways in my own mind that can be knowledge you know I can say that I've seen these things happen but what God tells us that we need wisdom because knowledge is like raw information but wisdom is how to use that information that you have I think I may have assured maybe I didn't but when I was at Lincoln Hills many years ago I had a boy Anyways, wanted to come and, and do some things. And he had said, oh, you know, I got all these scriptures hundreds of scriptures memorized and sort of asked him, what are you doing here? And he started telling me about his crime. And I said, well, I don't need to know about your crime. You know all this stuff that God's word says. Why are you here? And he just looked at me and he says, I never applied it to my life. See, knowledge, he had the knowledge He had scriptures memorized. He knew how he should be living. He knew what he should be doing. He was raised in a Christian family. He was part of Awana's groups and and all these things. He knew, but he didn't apply. That's why I say sometimes a little knowledge is dangerous because we know enough to to throw the cliches out there, to throw the words out there. But we need to have wisdom. Someone once said that, that knowledge is the ability to take something apart. Wisdom gives you the ability to put it back together. See, we need wisdom in our life. See, we're building for the kingdom of God. He has chosen us to be his vessels here on earth to reach out to our neighbors, to, to live a light that is shining. Okay, Not that they see me. I don't want people to see me. I want people to see Jesus. And so when they say, you know, there's no way he could, he could be that nice, I'd probably say, no, there's no way that I can. But through God in me, He allows me to do that because our nature is is contrary to God's nature. But when God is living in us, we can do some amazing things. And when we trust in him and we have this faith, it takes this knowledge that we know and allows it to be wisdom on how to build things, how to bring people to Christ, how to handle certain situations in such a way. And so James challenges us on these things. And it says, to receive this wisdom, what do we do? We simply ask God. If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. There's no big formula. There's no hoops to jump through. It says, you know what? I know I'm lacking wisdom. I don't understand how to deal with this the way that God would have me to deal with it. And so it says, I ask. I ask God, God, give me the wisdom. I need to know how to deal with these things. And it says that he gives generously and without reproach. He gives liberally. He gives us whatever we need in that area to glorify him. Spurgeon goes on to say we are also ready to go to books, to go to men, to go to ceremonies, to go to anything except God. Consequently, the text does not say let him ask books or ask priests, but let him ask of God. So there's a lot of good books out there. I I like reading books just as much as probably a lot of people. My library, I've actually gotten rid of a lot. I've donated a lot out because I've sort of figured in my life I'm not spending enough time reading the Word of God, let alone to uh, pile myself with other books. But I still do look in some other books. But the Word of God is my main source. If I need the answer, I go to the Word of God. I look at the Word of God because everything else is man's opinion. All these books, they're man's opinions. And there's some good books. Like I said, I like to read Spurgeon and Calvin and all those tozers. I, I mean, I like what they have to say. They bring, they bring strength to me as a pastor and just as a Christian. But he tells us to go and ask. And it says that he will give liberally, generously, without reproach. And it's, it's, Calvin says this. This is added, the uh, without reproach part. Lest anyone should fear that he comes to God too often, for he is ready to add new blessings to former ones without any limitation. I don't know about you, but I used to think, you know, when I used to pray a lot, I think you know, God, you know, I'm sorry to come to you again, you know, with the same old problems, the same old stuff, and, and sort of thinking that I'm bothering God. God says, without reproach, it says that He's wanting to add new blessings day by day. His ear is always open. You know, He's omnipresent, omnipowerful. He's Omni everything. Okay, we could pray 24/7, and that would just bring a smile to His face. And maybe that's why Paul says, pray continually. God is always willing to hear the believer's prayer and his request, especially, especially to draw him closer to him. Lord, I need this in my life. Lord, I need understanding. Lord, uh, I'm hurting right now. I need some healing. Lord, I, I need wisdom. Whatever it is that we ask of God, he wants to hear. He doesn't just want to hear about the big things. He wants to hear about everything in our life. Do you praise God for the little things in your life? Do you share those little prayer requests with him also? Or do you just wait for something major to happen and then possibly bring it to him? It says without reproach. That means there's no fear in going to God. I can go to God whenever I want, all the time. And he's willing to listen. Now his answer may not always be what I want. And that's fine too. I need to learn to accept that. He's God and I'm not. That's okay. But he's always willing to listen to me. And when I believe in the sovereignty of God and I believe in the the grace of God and the mercy of God... That's okay, because I can go, and I, you know what? I'm leaving it in his court. I'm saying, God, here, here's my, my problems. Here's what I need, and I just leave it there. And if God wants me to have it, he delivers it to me. I don't need to worry about it anymore. See, sometimes when he talks about being double-minded and tossed to and fro, we sort of throw it to God, but we're still hanging on to it. We haven't surrendered it all to God. And he tells us that we need to ask in faith without doubting God's ability to answer that prayer this is a hard one because I know I've been with people that are, are passing away or that are seem terminally ill and when I look at them and when I, when I hear the diagnostics and everything and it's sort of like you know they're probably not going to make it we pray for healing and sometimes it's like you know do I really believe that they're going to be healed when I'm praying for them but one of the things I've learned to do is just pray in God's will and I can say truthfully to God God, you know what my desire is. My desire is for healing. My desire is is for, you know, reconciliation. My desire is for this, but not my will, but thy will be done. Lord, you know what my heart is, but Lord, I trust in you that you will do what's best. So we ask in faith. So notice that we don't just come in faith, as the scripture says, but we also need to ask in faith. So we need to come believing and we need to ask believing. Now, that doesn't mean, again, that everything that we come to God for, or ask God for, is going to be delivered. As a matter of fact, a lot of times it's not. Because our ways are not his ways. His ways are higher than our ways, right? And again, as I said, there's a way that seems right to a man. So I pray by what I think I need to pray. But I, I need to understand that sometimes that's not the best thing. God knows the best thing for that. And so we ask in faith also. And I think this is where prayers of of many of us, fail. Because we don't come to God believing, and we don't really ask God believing. We've sort of been conditioned that when things are hopeless, we pray. We're praying for marriages today. Marriages are are a tough thing. And the problem with it is, is usually people come for help in marriages when it's almost too late. I wouldn't say it's ever too late, but they come when the damage has been done so far. You know, we need to learn to go to God right away. To seek God right away. Spurgeon said this, You know, dear friends, that there is a way of praying in which you ask for nothing and get it. And he's referring to that verse. If we don't come believing, he says, we're not going to receive that. We're not going to receive that blessing in our life. And again, I'm not preaching anything along prosperity. Please don't think that. I'm talking about coming to God in faith, believing in him, To take care of the situation. Believing in him to handle that situation. The one who doubts, lacks faith, should not expect, it says, to receive anything from the Lord. How can we go to God not really believing that he's going to intercede and then complain when he doesn't intercede? See, we can't really expect anything from him. The lack of faith and trust in God is is something that we all have in our life. It's something that we need to ask. Lord, give me more faith. But it really shows when we come to him not expecting, when we come to him not believing or trusting in him, that it really shows our foundation isn't very strong. It shows that our, our trust and our relationship with God isn't really that strong. And it's, he, James describes it as being unstable in all our ways. Again, Clark says in his commentary, The man who is not thoroughly persuaded that he asks of God shall receive resembles a wave of the sea." He is in a state of continual agitation, driven by the wind and tossed, now rising by hope, then sinking in despair. Think of that in your life, in your prayer life. I've thought about it in my prayer life. When we come really not believing, we are sort of in this continual state of agitation. When we come and we give it to God and we say, You know what, God, you're in control. Here it is. I'm no longer going to worry about it. It's like the ball is in your court and I can leave it there, I don't need to be in agitation. But if I'm hanging on to it, trying to control the situation, trying to control God, I'm in continual agitation. You know, Lord, why aren't you doing How come this isn't happening? And, and then we start to intercede ourselves and try to make things happen. And he says, you're like that wave driven by the wind. You rise and hope, oh, maybe it's getting better, and all of a sudden you're down in despair. Oh, the world's just crashed in upon me. I think a wave is a fitting description. We just came back from Texas, and we had some windy days down there where they had five, six-foot waves, maybe bigger. I don't even know if you're out there, but I remember watching it and, and just thinking, man, the agitation, the, it would stir up the sand and the foam, and, and the waves were just coming from every direction. There was nothing really methodical about it. It's just like continual crashing and churning and all this stuff that is going on. And so when I came to the scripture, it sort of made sense. Because a wave on the sea is without rest. How many of you as Christians, professing Christians, are without rest in your life? You're missing that rest of Christ. He gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding. Are we missing that in our life? It's without, or it says, the, a wave of the sea is unstable. But well, so is the doubter. One day we're over here, one day we're over there. I, I believe this now and I believe that later. And I think this and then I think that. We're not holding firm to the rock of our faith. The wave is driven by the winds. Well, you know, society is sort of going this way now. Now it's going this way. Peer pressure is coming in here, and this is over there. And we're continually changing our beliefs. You know, my question always is, what does the Word of God say? You get in the Word of God, what does God's Word say? That's where we stand. That's where we take root. The wave of the sea is capable of great destruction. Last year when I was down there, somebody had anchored their boat off the end of the jetty. The only problem was they had too short of an anchor rope, and as the waves came up, it tossed the ship onto the jetty and destroyed it. Those waves are powerful things. We read about ships being capsized. read about tsunami waves, whatever. Waves of the sea are capable of great destruction. They can be Mm -hmm. in your life, too. If you're not walking close to God, if you're not trusting in Him, if you don't have this faith that is required of us by the word of God. And faith is a gift of God. It's given to us in a measure by him. And if we lack it, we need to ask him for more. We're like this wave. We can be destructive in our behavior. We can be destructive in the example that we are giving those whose eyes are upon us. Well, you're a Christian, Can you do that. You know, we wrestle with that all the time. I always tell people, I'm not perfect. You look at me long enough, you know, you're going to find things that, that you don't like, that you don't want, whatever. But in our life, we need to think of that. Is our life uh, a way that is just causing havoc and causing destruction around us? There was a man in Mark 9 that said to Jesus, Lord, I believe. Help my non-belief. Maybe that's our prayer that we need to have. Lord, I believe in you. See, he wasn't a double-minded man. He said, Lord, I believe But I understand, too, that I have errors I struggle with. Help my non-belief. Lord, increase my faith. If I don't have enough faith, Lord, give me more faith. Do we have that in our life? See, God knows our heart. God knows us inside and out. He knows us better than what we know ourselves. But as we recognize it in our life, God wants to hear it from us. We need to humble ourselves before God and go there and say, Lord, I know I've blown it. Lord, I I know I'm failing in this area. Lord, I I want more faith. When I pray, I want to have a powerful prayer. I want to have a a prayer that that I can fully grasp and believe in you, that you will handle these things. Lord, help me to stop hanging on to things I don't need to and to let them go and to, to believe that you are the one that's in control. Lord, I've done my part and you've done your part. And so, Lord, let's just watch it unfold. Do you have that faith? Do you believe that God can give you the wisdom and that he will do so if you ask him? We all need wisdom. I need more wisdom. And sometimes, you know, we, we think we're wise in our own eyes and all of a sudden it's like, say, I guess I got that one wrong. We continually go to God. God, give me wisdom. If you know that in your life, go to him. Go to him at once and ask him, Lord, what is it that I need? Let's pray.